Welcome to the StoryCraft Cafe. Come in, grab a cup of your favorite beverage, and get ready to join the storytelling conversation. StoryCraft Cafe is brought to you by Dabble, the ultimate cloud-based fiction writing software. Here we're going to bring together storytellers from all walks to encourage and empower you to craft your best story. Well, thanks for joining us again here in the StoryCraft Cafe. Boy, do we have a great show for you today. Holly Smale joins us today to talk about her book, Cassandra in Reverse. She also is the author of the wildly popular YA series, the Geek Girl series. We have such a fun conversation. I know you're going to love it. Be sure to join us over at storycraft.cafe so that you can stay abreast of what's coming up next and find links where you can join in on the live broadcast and you can offer up questions or comments as the interview's going on. Or all of those live events that we do wind up getting uh, distributed here on our podcast channel. So make sure you're subscribed in your favorite podcast podcatcher program. Now on to our interview with Holly Smale. Uh, live here in the Storycraft Cafe, I am your host Hank Garner. As always, today I am super excited to have Holly Smale on the show with me. She's got a brand new book that's been out for a couple of weeks now. It's called well, if you're in the in the U.S., it's called Cassandra in Reverse, and in the U.K., it has a slightly different title, doesn't it? It does. It's called the Cassandra Complex in the U.K. That that has to be strange. That uh, you know, not only you know, for a lot of authors, when you're writing the book, you you tend to have uh, you know a bit of a title in mind, and then when your publisher gets a hold of it. It doesn't always stick that way, but then when you're dealing with different markets and you have different names, that that has to be kind of bizarre having this thing that you created and it's out in the world, but it's differently out in the world. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is a bit weird. I mean, the Cassandra Complex was was the title that I had when I was working on it, um, and then I think America just felt like they wanted a slightly different feel for the title. So, I mean, they both work. The only, the only problem is obviously trying to explain um, which one's which and when people are looking for one but can't find it, you know, it, it can yeah. be a bit <laughs> Before we really get into talking about the book and stuff, I like to start with a fun question sometimes, and it, it kind of helps to set the tone. Um, so what is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller, Holly? It's actually a super clear one. Um, so I was four years old um, and I was obsessed with uh, books from, from birth. My mum is a retired English teacher, so she used to read me really inappropriate stuff, Shakespeare, Byron, Keats, um, <laughs> as a toddler. Um, and I became obsessed with the Faraway Tree series. Um, so I would, I'd learned to read by that point. So I was kind of carrying this book around with me and it suddenly occurred to me that I had no idea where it came from. And I remember sitting in bed and asking my mum, you know, how did this book get here? And she explained, you know, that a woman had made it up and written it down and sent it to a publishing house um, and then sold millions of copies. Um, and I remember just getting this incredible thrill all over my body. And I sat up right in bed and I said, that's what I want to do. Um, and yeah, I, I stuck to it for the rest of my life. There was never a question. <laughs> wow. And how old were you uh, roughly? Four. 
Cool. That was cool. So yeah, I, it, it was. A, I'm, it was I'm a, sure that happens to all four year olds at some point or or another. Yeah, I was incredibly precocious. Um, so yeah, I made a, <laughs> uh, a pretty a pretty quick decision that I never went back on. Um, I think I had a wobble a few times, and I thought it might not be possible. But apart from that, I was very clear minded on what I wanted. That is amazing. You know, um, we've done more than 1500 uh, author interviews and uh, you know, it's very rare that you encounter someone who's had, uh, you know, a straight path, uh, you know, a, a narrow focus uh, because a lot for a lot of writers, it's more of a circuitous route. You know, you kind of go through life and you collect this experience and collect that experience and, you know, somewhere the writer's gene kicks in and, you know, you interpret all that stuff and it comes out, you know, as fiction. Um, but it's, it's really a, a rare thing. Um, you know, I can count on on two hands the people that have had that dedicated focus from, you know, I knew I was going to be a writer and everything that I did was uh, in service to that dream that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was it was immediate. I literally got up the next morning and I started writing um, wow. and I started, I started making my own books. So I started um, kind of making cardboard um, covers um, out of cereal boxes and sticking them together with sellotape. Um, and yeah, I, I knew and presenting them to my family with, you know, pictures on the front cover and title. Yeah, I, I was very committed from a very young age. Um, so I don't remember a time really when it wasn't the thing I wanted most in the world. What, what did your, your mother, what did your parents think of that declaration, you know, that this is my life's work from now on? Um, it was very in character for me. I, I also decided when I was four that I was going to be vegetarian and uh, I stuck to it and I'm still vegetarian uh, wow. 35 years later. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's something that's, that's part of my character is this ability to hyper-focus and, you know, not obs obsess is a cruel world, but, you know, it, it's, it's something that I've been able to do is just focus and just go for it, no matter, no matter how hard or how long it takes. It took me quite a long time. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, Cassandra in Reverse is, uh, I, I love this book so much, and it. Um, you know, when I when I first read about the book, um, in my mind, I kind of said, OK, well, I know what this book is, um, so I'm going to go into it with a sort of preconceived like we always do. You know, you, you take that that copy on the back cover and you think, oh, OK, I, I know where this is going. No, I didn't. Um, it is it is completely different. Um, and, and we'll talk all about that in a minute, but before this book, you had a wildly popular series that you wrote for a while, uh, the geek girl series. Where did, where did that, uh, series come from? And, you know, what was the initial catalyst that, that got it off the ground? I mean, it came from me. I seem to have my most successful books when I base them on myself, which, you know, I mean, I haven't done everything based on myself, but they seem to be the ones that hit. Um, so, yeah, it was based on a teenage version of me. And I'd always known I was different. I was always known, I'd always known that I was like wired in a slightly alternative way. Um, and I struggled at school. Um, I was also spotted by a modeling agency when I was 15 on a school trip. Um, and obviously I had this, this obsession with writing, um, but it hadn't occurred to me that anything might have happened in my own life that was worth writing about. Um, but my friend dared me to write the first chapter of a teen book um, about my modeling experiences. Um, and 
all this this voice came rushing out of me about um, what it had felt like to be this complete outsider who just didn't fit in. And yeah, the, the, I, I basically went from there and the, the, the series was just, uh, it came out of the blue a little bit, I think for me, because I, I expected my granddad to buy like a copy um, and that would be it. <laughs> And, you know, 10 years later, I was still writing it. And, you know, we sold three and a half million copies and, you know, a lot of teenagers oh, wow. who I was across the world. It was very, very weird. Um, but I loved Harriet, who's the main character. Um, and I was very happy kind of writing in that teenage genre for quite a long time. Um, and wow. it's, yeah, it, it feels like it was a massive blessing, to be honest. I feel very lucky. Well, absolutely. It, it, you have to look at it that way. Uh, you know, when... For someone who has written literally all of her life, um, when you had the idea to start writing that first Geek Girl book and you're writing, uh, you know, what we would call in the in U.S., uh, you know, YA or, um, you know, teen fiction, whatever, you know, however you want to look at it, um, was that a um, was that a difficult voice to find at first, uh, you know, you're you're an adult, you're, you're writing kind of as your younger self. If you say that your character's always informed by you, um, was that a, a difficult shift to get into that mindset and to, uh, to, to find the voice of that character? It was, I mean, it was embarrassingly easy. I think that there is a big part of me that is still 16. Um, so it, it didn't feel like at all a shift. I just basically just clicked a button and it, and it, it came out. Um, but even more embarrassingly, um, I didn't know I was writing for teenagers when I wrote it. I was under the impression that I was writing an adult book about a teenager, which <laughs> makes no sense to me whatsoever now. But like at the time, I was so naive about the book world that I'd seen things like Dog and Stick in, you know, Incident in the Nighttime and that kind of thing. And I, I knew there were books that were read by adults, but were about children or teenagers. And I think I'd assumed, okay, that's what I'm doing. And it, it wasn't until I finished and my agent started sending it out to publishers and we sat down with a list of who we were sending it to. And she said, um, okay, so I've, I've collected, you know, nine uh, children's editors here. And I said, why have, why have you put them, given them to children's editors? And she went, because you've written a children's book. And I was like, <laughs> I had no idea. I had no idea I'd written a children's book, which is mind blowing now. But you know, I, I just didn't think about the fact that because I had a teenage protagonist, it meant it was for teenagers, um, which actually I think helped the writing because I wasn't actually trying to appeal to teenagers. I was trying to be an authentic teenager to appeal to adults who had also wanted <laughs> teenagers so I didn't dumb anything down I didn't make any kind of you know I a couple of publishers suggested that I take out some of the Shakespeare references or the you know the jokes that might be considered too sophisticated or whatever and I I didn't want to and actually I think that has meant that it's appealed to a wide range of ages which has um really kind of helped me I think in selling them <laughs> um but yeah is that a a difficult um distinction i i think uh when some people think when you're writing ya um that that it's a a a very um what's the word i'm looking for a very determined um shift in mindset you, you were just writing um because you were an adult and you wanted to portray this voice authentically to other adults did um you know, I, I think some people can't quite wrap their head around how you get into this younger voice, but it, it seems like that was not a difficult switch for you at all. 
No, um, I think maybe because I my experiences at that age were quite traumatic. You know, I was I was really struggling at school. I was I was being bullied on a daily basis. It really affected my sense of self and my self esteem, which you know lasted well into adulthood, um, and is something I'm actually probably still dealing with. And so, because it was such a vivid part of my life, like I still carried it with me. It was still something that I was still kind of dealing with. And so, when I tapped back into it, it, it just it was still there. It was preserved in my brain, basically, exactly as it was. And I still remember exactly how I felt in all those situations. You know, I, I, how I how I thought. So for me, it did. It, it has never felt like I have to, you know, be someone else to write for teenagers. I just almost have to just open the door back into my teenage brain, and it's it's all there and it's ready to go. Um, which maybe isn't <laughs> doesn't make me sound that good as a as a woman who in her forties, but um, it served me well <laughs> as a writer. Did uh, is that series finished now, or is, is it open ended for more stories? Um, well, we're currently making the show um, for Netflix, um, which should okay. be coming out next year. Um, and I'm really involved in the production of that um, and the writing of that. So um, I'm still very much in her world, ironically. Um, and I've never really closed the door fully. I mean, you know, the very last book of the series, um, which, you know, was eight books long, um, I very specifically left the door open in a very, um, a very obvious direction so that if I wanted to come back, I could do so. Um, so that's, I don't think I'll ever completely close it. I mean, I have ideas of Harriet, you know, in a retirement home, um, you know, in her in her 90s, still still writing these books. So I'll never completely close it. Um, but yeah, it's been really exciting to watch the um, the characters that I made up and this world that I built coming into like a three dimensional life, which um, just yeah feels again I'm very lucky. I would imagine, and and I've got um, I've got a number of friends who have written series that have become um, you know television adapted or film adapted, and I I usually get a, a mix of responses from them some. Some writers are just uh, thrilled that this uh, thing that they created is taking on a new life and a new interpretation, and that's very exciting. And then some writers are just terrified that someone's going to take their creation, these characters that have lived in their head, these settings that they have meticulously created, and they're just going to ruin it, you know, by by interpreting it in a way that it was never meant to be uh how, how yeah. do you how do you feel about that um i think i i think originally i definitely had both of those feelings um and i know it had over the last decade because the first one came out like 10 years ago now that like i had and um, there are a few sort of stop start kind of production processes where we nearly started and then we didn't but it never quite felt quite right and i was always a bit nervous about what was going to happen to it because obviously with any interpretation they can take different angles they can do it in different styles um and I feel very lucky obviously um it's 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 currently being filmed so I I don't know you know how it's going to turn out but I've because partly because it has been based on me as a teenager as well as the fact that I wrote them I've been really involved in in it from the ground up you know I've been you know asked questions about casting I've been involved in the writing of, of episodes um I get to oversee the whole project um and so that makes me feel a lot more relaxed and I also really trust the team that are working on it they seem to know exactly what they're doing and the casting is phenomenal so 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 far so good uh it seems to be a very um yeah one of those really rare glorious experiences of just seeing everything that you've imagined just become real um 
Yeah. It's got to be a good feeling when you, uh, when you meet a, a creative partner who, um, you know, almost feels like a creative soulmate that they have the same vision and they, um, you know, take, take care with it. Yeah, absolutely. And it really does feel like it's coming to people, everyone involved in the show, um, right from every single angle, it genuinely has their heart invested in it. It's not a, you know, kind of, a, a sort of flash in the pan or a, a money maker it's that someone everyone really cares about it and the story and the characters so it feels like it's coming from a good place which you know with the books it felt similar it felt like everyone who was publishing them felt like they cared they genuinely cared um and i think that that genuinely has good vibes behind it you know in in what everyone coming at it from the same direction that's fantastic so you um if I understand right, you wrote that uh, the last uh, Geek Girl book that you that you published and you took a break and gave yourself a, a little bit of a chance to shift gears and to go in a new direction. And on the other side of that new direction was uh, Cassandra in reverse. Um, tell me what you know, one thing that I'm fascinated with, and, and I, I know people get tired of me asking this question, but um I love to uh, to hear about the moment of creation. Um, you know, in in one moment, nothing about Cassandra uh, existed. She's it was just not there. And then either a character walks onto the stage of your mind, and you're like, "Well, who is she? And what is she up to?" And you know that sort of thing. Or you know, maybe you read something or overhear a conversation, and the what if game starts you know playing in your mind, and then in some form or fashion, this story does exist. And then it's your job as the writer to dig it out, polish it up, you know, excavate it. And, and then it turns into a, a book that we all can hold in our hands. Um, what was that first moment of creation that, that brought about this story? It, it was actually very um, clear. Um, I had, um, it was actually during writing Geek Girl, I was on tour, I was on a bus tour around England and um, talking to school children at schools about, about Geek Girl. Um, and I had just had a breakup. So I'd just been dumped mm. about about two days before the tour started. Um, and I was in a bit of a mess. Um, so I was in the back of this tour bus uh, with my name emblazoned in a bus, in a minibus across the back, um, mm. which was hilarious um and i was going through a breakup so i was i was crying in the back i was eating crisps I was spilling chocolate all over myself um, <laughs> and all, all i could do because it had come out of the blue all i could do it was a short relationship but it was quite intense um, and all i could do in my brain on those long road trips where between schools all i could do was think about you know go through the relationship in detail because i have a very very detailed long-term memory um, and I could go, all I could do was go back and try and work out where it had gone wrong, like exactly what had been said or done, you know, what facial expression had I pulled, what argument had just broken things, what exactly could I go back to in that relationship to tweak or fix, and then how would it play out had I, had I changed that? So for about a week, a solid week for that entire tour, I was basically going through and giving it alternative endings um, every time, you know, I, I would undo one one narrative and then I would see how that played out in my head. And it became obsessive. I was looping and looping and looping and it did slow down eventually. But, you know, I was, I was still looping for probably months into some level. 
Um, and when I sort of came out of that that funk, um, I thought, actually, that's quite an idea for a book. You know, a woman who discovers that she has the power to to edit her own life, essentially, that she can go back and, and use time to to investigate and explore and, and try and, and, you know, fix things, basically, and save a relationship that's gone wrong. Um, and I was still working on Geek Girl, so I didn't actually have the time to to then write. Um, and it didn't feel like a children's book, for sure. It didn't feel like something yeah. that a teenager would do. Um, but the other question, which you know, when I when I posited it to my my agent, her understandable answer question was, why would someone do that? <laughs> um, why, why would someone hyper-focus and fixate like that on a relationship? Um, to such that to such level instead of moving on and just getting on with life and finding someone else. And you know, it was, an, it was an excellent question, but I couldn't answer it because I was like, well, I haven't, and that's what I am doing in my brain. Um, but I put the idea in my pocket and thought, I'm gonna mull on that. And then when I was diagnosed as autistic, years later, four years later, suddenly that snapped into focus and I went, okay, that's why she's doing it. That's because she's wired like me, because she's hyper-focusing and she's looping and she's repeating. Um, it's her superpower. Yeah. It's her superpower, yeah. So um, that that suddenly, but that, that origin, I remember literally lying in the back of a bus covered in crisps and uh, like, you know, popping it to a blanket um, with the driver trying not to look at me because it was embarrassing. Um, so that was the exact moment of, of creation, which is not as glamorous or as, as artistic as you might hope. <laughs> Well, but but it seems like that was a, a very visceral experience and one of those that, you know, because a lot, there's as a writer, you you'll have lots of um, uh, moments of inspiration and you think, oh, this is the best thing ever. And then three days later, you're like, well, it's not not that great, actually. You know, it, it felt right in the moment. But now that I've kind of let it cool off a little bit that's not it but but then there are those kind of visceral experiences that three four months down the road it's still just pulling on you and just you know demanding to be um to chase to be chased down and it sounds like it was one of those yeah i mean it was five years between having the idea and actually starting wow. to write it so it, it had been, I call it casseroling, which is ironic because obviously her name is Cassie, but it was called casseroling back when I was writing Geek Girl as well. I, I basically, when I have an idea and I think, okay, there's something in that, but it's not ready. It's not ready to, it doesn't, it's not at the moment, you know, with Cassie, it was like, okay, a woman can take, use time to, you know, fix a relationship. Doesn't feel that feminist, doesn't feel that, that fleshed out, feels a bit flat. Okay, right, pop it in my back pocket and, and let it stew for a bit and let all the juices kind of mix up and some when, when I come back to it sometimes my brain has been processing it but without me realizing it and suddenly I'll go oh okay now I understand it from a different perspective so yeah I do that with all of my ideas um, and it's actually been um, probably one of my biggest writing tools is that I don't force ideas I just kind of put them away and let my subconscious work on them while I'm not paying attention um, which is extremely irritating for people who want outlines now. Because <laughs> I'm like, I don't know, what and I'm just going to let them do them on their own. So, <laughs> um, I I said um, early on in our conversation that um, when I first got the book, that you you kind of come into every book with preconceived notions, what you think the book's going to be about, and you read the the term time travel. I mean, it's right there on the on the cover of the book. It's no secret that that this is you know a plot device 
And um, you immediately start thinking about all the different time travel stories that you've read. And you think, well, this is a this is a time travel book. And it it is kind of um, but it's it's not about time travel. It 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 has time travel. Yes, that's that's a, a major plot device that you use. But that's not the point of the book. Um, so uh, were there ever times where you're using this very specific plot device, but you're really trying to say something else? Um, was was that a uh, a difficult thing to to work through? You know, how do I use this thing without it becoming the thing? It, does that make sense at all? Yeah, absolutely. And I was very, very aware of that while I was planning it. I was like, for me, the, when I realized that I was autistic and I started to understand my neurology better, um, it, it suddenly became very clear that, that time travel, like you say, is not it's not it's not a sci fi. It's not a, it's not a, you know, kind of um, really about time travel. It is um, almost a way of um, of showing how the autistic brain works, right? Because you know we tend to repeat things and we tend to loop things and we tend to wish we hadn't done stuff that was socially inappropriate or we didn't understand. We we there are so many situations where we don't completely grasp what's going on at the time, and so there's a lot of regret, there's a lot of shame, there's a lot of guilt. Um, so. In, in, in the biggest way, I use time travel to show what that neurodivergent brain can be like um, in the looping and the undoing, essentially. I spent a lot of my, my life wishing I could undo stuff that I have said or done. Um, because <laughs> don't we all? <laughs> don't we all, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I, so, so you're right, it, it, it is time travel, but it isn't because it's a, it's a narrative device to, to basically show rather than tell how the brain can work, um, which which I found a lot more, you know, there's a line where um, Cassie says um, I'm something along the lines of I'm, um, I think I thought I was trying to undo the mistakes that I've made, but I'm actually trying to undo myself. Um, and it is that sense of, 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 of self-loathing and self-questioning and, 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 and all the, the, the feelings that come around that, which is what she's really using it for is to, to find connection, to find love. Um, and, yeah, that's that's what I wanted. I wanted as well with all the I love time travel books, but I wanted to do something more intimate and more domestic. I wanted to see, you know, what it's all very well and good going being able to go back, you know, a thousand years, but what what would it be like if you only went back three minutes and just undid something that you'd said? Um, it it made it more human, it made it more real, and it made it it made it feel like something we would all do. Because if I got given time travel as a gift, I don't think that I would be going back 25 years. It would just be too much of a gamble. <laughs> I wouldn't right. know what I, what I'd be screwing with. So, but I could definitely see myself unburning toast, you know, or right. uh, unbreaking a mug that I dropped, or you know, something like that. So I just wanted to bring it that humor and that and that warmth and that intimacy that comes from that very human ability to just regret and wish that you could undo stuff um i think the ability to uh time travel and to fix things that we have broken i think everyone wishes at some point may i i just wish i could go back and unsay this thing or you know that so many things would be better um yeah. And, and there have been lots of great stories that have been told and that have used this plot device. But I, I find it interesting that of all of the time travel books, movies um, that we've seen, rarely does time travel solve anything. Like, like everyone thinks, 
oh, this is going to be amazing if I can do this. And then when they actually have that ability, doesn't always fix things. Um, you know, were, were you, um, when, when you came up with the idea, I'm going to do this, did, did you think about the consequences of that and, you know, how um, rooted in reality um, that, that real human relationships are that some things just can't be undone. Um, you know, while also having fun playing with it, you know, did, did, did you ever weigh the, um, you know, the, the consequences of having a power like this? Yeah. I spent a lot of time thinking about it and, and, and thinking about it on, and as you say, like very real terms. Um, and it was important for me to kind of explore the negatives and the positives, you know, the, the yeah. negatives, the, the things that you will break and you know i'm obviously not going to do any spoilers because that would be a very bad author but you know i think that, that we all know that, that that time is fragile and that if you if you pick one thread uh, others are gonna un, unravel and so i had a lot of fun with that both from a narrative perspective and from a comic perspective because you know while you're paying attention over here something else is going on over there that you have not paid attention to um so that was really important but also the positives and i think that you know for me and, and, and like a lot of people like you say everyone wishes they could undo everyone you know wishes that they everyone has regret things they regret and wish that they could just slightly erase maybe um and i just feel like you know that that the way that cassie uses time to connect with people around her and I know that I've always wished that sometimes I just have more time because I'm not necessarily that good straight off. <laughs> um, I need that time to process. I need that time to work things out. I need that time to understand what's going on around me. And so, you know, I did want it to make it positive too. And that sometimes we just need a little more. Sometimes we need a dress rehearsal first. Um, so, so, yeah, that was... I definitely thought it was a very contemplative um, book, but it also felt very organic. I know when I sat down, when I had a plan, I always plan my books all the way through before I start writing. Um, and, you know, obviously I planned this one too. Um, but I also, it also felt very, very natural. It felt like Cassie, when I was writing, I didn't, it didn't feel like I was being too strategic. It felt like it was very much organic behavior. This is what I would do. This is what I would, how I would feel. Um, and I kept track of all the different threads very easily. Which right. <laughs> like, did you have loads of post-its all over the walls? And I was like, this is what my brain does anyway. So right. actually, for the first yeah, time. I would be doing this anyway. <laughs> yeah, this is what this is how my brain functions. It keeps hold of multiple, multiple threads and it undoes them and it redoes them and it undoes them. So I'm just basically doing what my what my brain is built to do. Yeah. Which was quite refreshing. <laughs> Holly, you mentioned earlier um, your diagnosis with uh, with autism, uh, and and you um, came to that realization uh, later in life than than a lot of people do. Um, mm -hmm. When you started writing this book and and this character, and you decided that that Cassie was going to have a lot of these um, these tendencies, these superpowers, if we will, um, was there ever any trepidation in in writing a character like this and you know maybe you know uh wondering how people would receive her or um you know yeah. wh what's it so much fear to be honest and uh, so much um vulnerability so much exposure yeah. uh, you know, I, I knew I was going to make autistic. I'd had my diagnosis um, and I knew that the only way for me to represent that 
in a book would be to be exactly myself, right? Because I don't know what it's like to experience life through another autistic yeah. person, right? To just so be authentic. To be authentic. So I had to be authentically me. Um, and that meant exposing everything about myself I hate um, and mm. everything I am ashamed of and everything I've tried to mask or, or hide my entire life which was an incredible degree of um, risk and and it took quite a lot of courage um, essentially um, and, and an absolute fear that that you know the responses would be what the responses to me in real life have often been um, which you know like Cassie I, I, I've often had uh, a lot of negative adjectives thrown at me throughout the years um, and it's been it's been almost overwhelmingly positive and brilliant and everyone has been like we love Cassie this is a brilliant every now and then I'll get a review that's like she's weird she's odd why is she weird like you know she's annoying me she's really and I'm like and that does hurt because I'm like it's difficult to take not a personal angle when it is yourself on the page um but it also means I kind of nailed it because that's how people respond to me in real life as well <laughs> um, but yeah so it's so I've never written anything that makes me as vulnerable um because even geek girl was me um a long time before I wrote the book so there was that distance there's that gap I was no longer that 15 no. 16 year old whereas this was much much closer um which was scary well you know in a in a time where we are looking for characters that uh uh that cut through all of the uh the, the crowd of fiction characters that we encounter you know there, there are more books being published now you it, it's a breath of fresh air to see a character who is uniquely herself and, you know, with, with all of her quirks and, you know, the things that make her special, the, the, the things that make her stand out are, you know, the things that, you know, as, as a writer who has had to deal with a lot of these issues herself, I, I'm sure, um, you know, has, has you putting your guard up, you know, to, to, you know, not, not stand out too much but these are the things that make this character so endearing and you know what a tremendous job you did in in creating this character and representing yourself and you know showing the rest of the world that you know that, that she's such a lovable character i i absolutely love the the character of cassie she's amazing thank you and i think from a writer's perspective all of us or anyone who writes there is that level of struggling with our own egos, right? When we're writing, because whether or not we're writing ourselves or not, um, we we kind of want to be liked on the page. We want our characters to be liked. We want, you know, we want, it's almost like a popularity competition. And I think that there is a little bit of a trend to, sometimes towards um, reviews of books, kind of leaning towards, do I like this person or not? Is she or he uncomplicatedly likable? And it just doesn't feel human to me. I'm like, well, none of us are uncomplicatedly likable. Um, so, you know, there were times where, you know, for instance, uh, my editor or, my, or a reader would say um, in the process would be like, oh, should she do this or say this? It does feel like she, it, it might alienate people. And I'm like, it, that's exactly why she has to do it, because, you know, we need to be brave enough to, to have people be human and unlikable and, you know, real and three dimensional yeah. without without having readers feel like they've been pushed away because they can't like every single part of every single person because we all have all humans have parts of us inside us that we want to hide that we're ashamed of that we wish didn't exist um and that we would never tell people about um and i just think as writers sometimes we have to push a, a, 
against that that natural ego that says I want to be liked and I want my characters to be liked um and for me it's more important that they just they just feel real yeah um you said that you plan out your books before you um you know get into the writing what is your pre-writing um stage like and and how uh, how detailed is your your outline or your plan before you start the drafting? It's it's detailed. Um, I I by the time I've got to the point where I'm about to start the book, um, every chapter is outlined, so I know exactly what's going on in every single chapter. Um, I leave plenty of room for me to be able to play and explore, and sometimes the book the, the characters take me in different directions but I essentially build it up um, piece by piece and I spend the majority of my time planning. And that's partly because of, of, of the fact that it helps me, you know, with my writing because of the way my brain works. Um, I'm also dyspraxic, which um, everyone thinks means just being clumsy, but it actually it affects your ability to structure in your head, um, which uh, can affect your writing. And, and it almost made me feel, fail my exams at, at school until I worked out how to get around it. And I got around it by planning um uh in in extreme detail so that's what i still do and it means that before i start a book i know exactly what's happening in every chapter um because otherwise i'll get lost and i'll get confused um so so i build up little brick by little book until it's until it's a good five thousand word outline um wow. in 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 proper like boxes with numbers with you know <laughs> which my editor loves she's like oh it's just very rare to get this kind of outline before you get a book. Most, most of, I think, all writers will sort of say, "Oh, yeah, it'll be, it'll be kind of like this." <laughs> Where I'm like, "It will be exactly like this." <laughs> um, well, yeah, I'll bet when you start drafting the novel, it it that makes things super easy because every time when you sit down each day, you know exactly what the work needs to be for that day. Yeah, and I think also because I know what's happening, I mean, in, in a relative amount of detail, there's obviously going to be stuff that surprises me, but because sure. I know what's happening, I can focus on character, I can focus on humour, I can focus on the fun stuff, which um, I don't have to sort of, I know that because of the way that I used to work at school, for instance, when I had an essay and an exam, you know, the first time I did exams, I, I just scribbled, 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 none of it made sense, none of it was like cohesive or structured. Um, and I failed all my exams. Um, and then I structured it and discovered that I could actually do it when it was structured. So giving me that base, that core, allows my particular brain to play and have fun and um, use language to its maximum potential without panicking about, you know, where is this chapter going? What it, what it, what is it bringing to the table on the story? Um, so it just helps me with pacing and it helps me with, with structure and narrative. And yeah, I couldn't do it any other way, to be honest. The book is Cassandra in Reverse. Um, if you're here in the United States, in the UK, it's called The Cassandra Complex. The Cassandra Complex. It's available everywhere now. You can go grab it, support your local bookstore, go grab it in physical form, or we'll have links in the show notes if you want to grab the Kindle edition or uh, you know the the uh, the print edition uh, or the audiobook uh, from Amazon. We'll put links to all of those as well um holly if people are just learning about you and want to dig into all the great stuff that you're up to is there a place online where they can find you and dig into all that you're doing um i have a website but i made it myself it's not great um hollysmail.com um but mostly instagram twitter probably is the best place to find me and i tend to lurk there more than i should given that i've got another book to write um but yeah that's probably the best place to come say hi and i tend to say hi back <laughs> 
Excellent. We'll we'll link all that up uh, for to make it easy for folks to find you. Holly, this has been so much fun chatting. Um, we're going to send everyone to pick up their copy of Cassandra in Reverse. Thank you so much for taking time to come on the show. It was so much fun. Thank you. That's our episode for today. There's so much more to come as we talk with authors about the craft of writing, but also the business of publishing. Be sure to subscribe to the StoryCraft Cafe podcast in your favorite podcast app to never miss an episode. The StoryCraft Cafe is made possible by Dabble. Writing a book is challenging. Your writing tool shouldn't be. Dabble is an easy-to-use online writing tool packed with helpful features that allow beginning novelists and published authors to create amazing stories. Visit us at DabbleWriter.com and start your free trial. Thanks for listening.